Welcome to A Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the answer to life, the universe, and everything is sex workers. I'm your host, Parker Westwood, and today I am bringing to you an interview I'm super excited about. I feel like I say that about every single interview because it's true, but this time I get to share with you a very dear friend of mine. You'll gather from the interview that uh, we've been friends for a very long time and have influenced each other's journey in sex work quite a bit. I'm talking about Lena Cesura, one of my very good friends in this industry. And <laughs> we tried to do an hour-long interview and failed epically. Uh, it turned into a two-and-a-half-hour, uh, wildly wonderful conversation, and it was vulnerable and beautiful. And so we're doing another two-part episode, and I'm filling the month of June with Lena Cesura, and I'm just going to say you're welcome in advance. Uh, I figured this was pretty appropriate as it is her birthday month, uh, and it's also Pride. So we talk about Lena's journey in sex work, uh, how she got to where she is now. We talk about organizing specifically for the decriminalization and destigmatization of sex work. We talk about being anti-racist um, in, in that particular movement, but also just in general, being an anti-racist white person uh, in the fight for the end of white supremacy. <laughs> uh, and also... Um, identifying internalized power structures. There's there's so much in this, and we go on tangents because you put a Gemini and a Libra in a closet, and this is what happens. So I'm just really excited to bring this to you, and um, happy Pride. Happy Pride Month. I'm going to take this opportunity to remind everyone listening that the first Pride was a protest, and that we are still very much so in the fight for black and brown trans sex workers' rights. And um, it's a fight that's very near and dear to my heart. And uh, and we're not free until we're all free. So we got a lot of work to do. But I'm glad you're in it with me. Um, I'm glad that we're all in this together. Because we can't do it unless we stick together. So here is the first half of my conversation with Lena Cesura. I hope you enjoy it. Let's jump in. Here we go. Okay, we're here with the one, the only, my best sex worker friend. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say you're my best friend or that I'm your best friend 100%. because your best friend will come for me. That's true. And, um, I, and, I, and your best friend is your best friend territory. Yeah. 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 Don't fuck with Capricorns. No. Don't fuck with Capricorns and Sagittarius. Do not. Uh-uh. <laughs> But my best sex worker friend, mm -hmm. Lena Cesura. Hi. 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 Uh, we're also in person, so prepare for the giggles. Yeah, it, and the ambient noise, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna fidget. I'm gonna play with my hair throughout this. Yes. And and I will take a sip of my La Croix <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> the only La Croix. The only La Croix. Also La Croix, if you want to sponsor this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just name dropped you hard. <laughs> Sell these bitches. Sell it. Uh. So take a moment, as in tradition of this podcast, yeah. to introduce yourself, 
uh, pronouns, what kind of sex work you do, where you're based, mm. all the things you'd like to identify as. Mm-hmm. Um, hi, I'm Lena Cesura. And welcome to my closet. We are we are currently <laughs> set up in my closet right now. Yes. Um, my closet is in uh, what is known as occupied Anishinaabe Ojibwe territory, and to some other people in iterations of society, Detroit, Michigan. Um, I am from here. Um, I am a sex worker, content creator memories curator uh yes yeah yeah professional travel companion um that uh works on the coasts so la and new york fantastic so, yeah. yeah so good so comprehensive so compre- <laughs> oh, my pronouns yeah there we go. my pronouns um my pronouns when i'm working are she my pronouns when i'm not working are she and they I think that's an important distinction to make at this point in my gender journey. Agreed. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels good. Um, so how did you get started in sex work? Um, I got started in sex work. Um, I've been Lena now for three years three years this month hey yes. hey, hey hey happy pride month happy lane anniversary yes. hey, 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 hey. um and it feels really good um before i was lena i had been a pro dom um super low-key i was a super low-key pro dom never had pro dom is a professional dominatrix Mm -hmm. because for all of the listeners who listens to your podcast you've had a number of pro doms that I have been so enamored with so fucking enamored with you and me both Ah! all of them I was never that cool I was never as cool as Master Joshua as Olivia Black as Pinky Bjorn I was never as cool as any of these bitches it's hard to compete with those I you know (laughs) Yeah. Um, Comparison is the enemy. And also, like, I just, yeah, I I revere. I revere them. Um, So I was a pro dom. I got introduced into uh, pro doming from my ex-girlfriend when I was in my 20s. Um, She had been a pro dom. um, And she got me into kink stuff. And... I loved it um and she had always said like she was like uh how did she say it she was like she was like she was like there would be she's like clients would be dying to be su- like a sub for you like they like and I was like what a weird like when she said <laughs> that and I was like a mid-20s person and I was like what the literal fuck are you talking about um um that just that was something that always stuck with me so Uh, Yeah, so she introduced me to that world. Um, And after we broke up, I got involved in the lifestyle community. And lifestyle community people kept saying the same thing. They were like, they were like, oh, you'd be great as a pro dom. And I was like, that is so funny. That is not the first time I've heard that. (laughs) Um, And that was a lot of fun. I did that for, I don't even know if I did it for a year, like right about a year. And, um, Loved it, but I couldn't maintain it with the job that I was doing, the career that I had, uh, and everything that sex work 
demands of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first time actually applying sex work. Um, I credit you as the first person that ever talked to me about sex work because even before that, when I was in my early 20s and you and I were in a training together and we had to name, um, this was this was when we were both involved in policy work and community organizing, mm-hmm. and we each had to name a person in the public sphere that we admired. Yes. And I remember being in this room with you before I really, like, before we really knew each other. Yeah. And, um, and you were like, a uh, person in the room that I admire, and you were like, Annie Sprinkle. And I was like, who the fuck is Annie Sprinkle? And, like, even the person in the training room at the time was like, who the fuck is Annie Sprinkle? And you were like, Annie Sprinkle is a sex worker, advocate, activist, organizer. They are all about, like, sex worker rights and da-da-da. And I was like, what is this bitch doing talking about sex work? Like, what is, like, what is sex work? Um, and that was the first, and you were talking about unionizing strippers. Mm-hmm. Yep. You were all on about unionizing strippers. <laughs> and I was like, we can, who? Like, who? What? Um, and that was, that was my, I had no idea. I had no idea that sex work was a term. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew what strippers were, but I had such a super classist, uh, horophobic orientation towards sex workers and strippers in that is as like the most visible component of that um and and it's we've gone down the rabbit hole ever since (laughs) (laughs) and here we are alternately encouraging one another alternately (laughs) encouraging one another to join the greatest the greatest journey in profession and community in the world oh it's been so good thanks i love that origin story it's a good one yeah Um, so you and I, we met doing community organizing and policy work. Yeah. Um, what, that is a huge part of your life and your story um, since before sex work. Yeah. So what, what about community organizing is important to you? Dude, when you sent me these questions <laughs> earlier today and I saw that, this is the only question. This is the, no, that's a lie. This was the first question that I read on the page that I was like, bitch, what the fuck? I don't make this easy. Ah, You don't make it easy. You don't make it easy. Um, Yeah, so I I meditated with this one today on my couch. And um, community organizing is important to me. So I feel like... um, there's a lot of ways that uh, the world that we live in right now, the way that our society is structured uh, by race, by class, by gender orientation, by uh, religious persecution, that's mm-hmm. not even religious affiliation, like straight up persecution, mm-hmm. um, that uh, inflicts on my ability to be the fullest, greatest human that I'm capable of being on this earth. And I'm not okay with that. Like, I'm not okay with that. And, um, and yeah, so like, I'm, I think about this concept of, um, 
Have you ever read the book The Body Is Not an Apology? Yes. Sonia Renee uh, Taylor. Hey, hey. If hey. you haven't read it, listeners, please purchase a copy. Give Sonia Renee Taylor your money. Purchase it from your local bookstore. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> Don't we're not dropping an Amazon link. Go, Absolutely. Go not. source it from your local bookstore and it better be POC owned, women owned, queer owned, okay? If yep. it's not, I will send you one from our lovely store here. It'll in be Detroit. linked in the show notes and it will not be an Amazon link. Thanks. Okay, we can do that too. I was like, I was like, they don't get a link. They don't get a link at all. We're not making this easy for you either. Scavenger hunt. Um, so the concept in this, in that Sonia Renee Taylor presents in this book is like, uh, like each of us have an innate destined path on this earth. Um, and the sooner and more earnestly that we actually like prune away the things in our lives like internally like in our relationships in our life and on a bigger societal structure like the more that we prune away the things that are uh deviating us from our path of Mm -hmm. our humanity um then like the more we get to live in the joy of what of what we're destined to be here to do. So that uh, like community organizing, um, where I'm like, I'm in a community with people where we are actively challenging the systems of oppression. Um, and for me as a white person is like uh, challenging the system of internalized supremacy that I have is like, um, like supremacy fucks with me too. Like mm-hmm. we, supremacy has, ripped away my ancestral spirituality and replaced it with American imperialism and materialism. Mm-hmm. And I'm not okay with that. So like that mm-hmm. shit's got to go. Like I have to reclaim <laughs> I have to reclaim like my own like my own identity and what it means for me that's not like this void of whiteness and this void of dehumanizing other people in order to validate myself. Mm-hmm. Like that rips me away from my spirituality from my spirituality and my like identity. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like, I mean, so, so like that, that is like baseline. That's like baseline. Yeah. Slash like, it's way more fun to be in community (laughs) when we're like actively loving each other from a place of like deep, like deep reclamation of identity. Mm -hmm. Like if that's where the magic is, if we're not doing that, like we're just fucking around. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm not here to fuck around. And not fucking around in a fun way. Like, <laughs> no, fucking yeah, around, yeah. There's, yeah, there's no, there's like, and it's like not consensual, it's not cute, it's not fun. Exactly. No one gets off. Yeah, these like made up hierarchies get created. And, it's bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. So, um, yeah, my community organizing um, has been, has always been uh, based in anti-racism work um, mm-hmm. and was first time when we were first working on on economic equity hey we were first working on, <laughs> on issues of economic equity and then um and then I got into prison abolition work mm-hmm. and that was how I also was like my an immigration work um having like a path for immigration and also borders are bullshit borders are absolute bullshit um mm-hmm. yeah so prison abolition border abolition and um, and sex worker rights decriminalization <laughs> and harm reduction. Way to lead me into the next question. Bitch. When did you first start dreaming about organizing sex workers? I, okay. Or with sex workers? Yeah, I, that's such a good question. Um, 
because I don't know if the answer is super profound. Mm-hmm. It sure as hell wasn't when you were dreaming about You were dreaming <laughs> about this way before I was. Well, I started dreaming about this when I was, like, 18, 19. I, you, yeah. you also, like, were conscious of wanting to, like, be a stripper when you were, like... Six years old. Okay, there yeah. you go. <laughs> I didn't want to put it out on you, but I knew it was really, really It was really young. young. <laughs> and so I... um. Yeah, so I feel like, I mean, so you fucking planted the seed. I When I became Lena um, in June of 2018, I feel like we started talking about it, like, pretty much right away. Like, there was never, there was never a point where I was going to leave my career as a community organizer and stop organizing. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm just going to, like, not get paid for it because, like, I, that's not a healthy space for me to be in. It's not a healthy space for me to get compensated to do that community labor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, conflates a lot of things in my brain of priorities and what grants want from me and, Same. and yeah. foundations and all this other shit where I'm like, I'm tight. Yeah, it gets um, messy. It gets real messy. So when I left my job, actually one of the first things I did was sent an email to Swap Michigan because mm-hmm. um, this was in... April of 2018, right after FOSTA SESTA had been implemented, mm. and I was like, and I and I got inklings of FOSTA SESTA. I was like, I was always like sex worker fangirl. I was yeah. like following all these accounts on Instagram <laughs> on my personal on my personal Instagram. I was and it was like a lot of strippers because I've always been. Spoiler alert! I'm the biggest stripper fangirl, <laughs> stripper fangirl ever. Um, and so I was following a lot of dancer accounts. I was following like a couple other like known sex worker accounts on social media. So I like, and I'd heard from my prison abolition work mm-hmm. that this shit was popping off, that like FOSTA SESTA was coming and it was like this fucking like slow moving train that no one could stop. Yep. And um, so when I was clear that I was leaving my last job, one of the first emails that I sent was Swap Michigan. And I was like, hey, I come from this policy background. I have been in and out of sex work before. I really, I, I understand this is a really important moment. Like, what what support do you need? Like, I'm happy to, uh, yeah, like, I'm happy to help. What do you need? And they were like, we have a brunch coming up. Like, come to this brunch. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and I did, and that's when I met a whole bunch of other uh, full-service companions. And they were like, oh, are you thinking about being a sex worker again? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to be a stripper. And they were like, Okay, or you could just be a full-service companion. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. I could totally just do that. <laughs> um, and so we did a little bit of talking about FOSTA SESTA and mm-hmm. the rest about uh, starting a business. Um, and that was, yeah, that was my, like, branch into the community, um, but also recognizing that there wasn't a lot that we could do at that point um, in that particular, like, uh iteration of time and space and so pretty much right after that is when I started talking to you mm-hmm. remember we would like draw those we would just draw these oh giant God. like yes like mind maps of like all of your collective wisdom all of my collective wisdom all the questions that we had and all I the hadn't people even that started as Parker yet. you hadn't even been Parker yet you hadn't even been Parker yet this is when I was yeah. like yeah I was like Whenever I like had a space that I was hosting from, you you yeah. would like come over and we would like roll out this scroll of paper and be like, "What's happening?" I right still now? have some of those. Oh, so, yeah. they keep them. I'm 
keeping them. Keeping them forever. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that was I mean it was it was in tandem. It was in tandem yeah. with Elena. Um yeah, because I was working on my website while we were doing that because I remember I hadn't launched. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, you launched cuz I launched in June, you launched in September. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, both our birthday months. Both our birthday months. <laughs> it's great. Um yeah, uh, does that answer that question? I think so. It was super circuitous. Yeah, but I think it it I sense and I hope the listeners sense that there's just like a build, a slow build of like how it came about. That yeah. sex worker organizing came into your yeah, it was your psyche. I think it was a, it was a slow build, and it was it was always it was always always it was always there in some capacity. Right. Like, well, and if you're working with, um, like organizing on economic justice and uh, prison abolition, and then borders, like you're gonna run into sex, sex work in every single one of those. Hello. Us. Yeah. Hell, holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's I think that's 100% right. Yeah, which leads into the next question a bit. Why is decriminalization important, especially in the context of what we were just talking about with mm-hmm. like borders and prison abolition and all of these things? Mm-hmm. Like what um what would the decriminalization of sex workers like bring to the table? Hmm, revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I mean, I don't like it. Really, it's really all we want. Well, I mean, I just, I, I fundamentally believe that sex work is, uh, is, um, putting a monetary value on the emotional labor that fuels capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like when we when we put and that and that is that's why it's so fucking stigmatized. Like that is mm-hmm. why we are so fucking stigmatized. Because God forbid, a group of people, whether that is femme identified people, whether that is young people, whether that is like, however, how whoever is on the spectrum, mm-hmm. um, of people whose emotional labor is necessary in order to fuel capitalism, mm-hmm. like the. And that's like so, so, so invisibilized um, and so completely taken for granted that the moment that we as a collective say like we are valued and our value is is like intangible and we can never really like we can never truly monetize how much like the fuck we run this shit yes um but if we had to but like since we're here ballpark numbers but like ballpark numbers since we need to like eat and pay rent yes um then like this is what that looks like people have a lot of fucking feelings about it Mm -hmm. um yeah because the shit is so deep it that it like starts to take out the underpinnings of of racial capitalism as we know it absolutely um yeah yeah, I think that's so that's so well put. I'm having I have a thought around also how um, sex has been used in in warfare, like specifically rape, right? Yeah. And so like to monetize sex and like our emotional labor and and our sexual beings um, is essentially a form of taking that power back and taking the power away from the oppressor or the people who are using that to gain power over. A hundred percent. I mean, I would warfare the creation of this nation. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, hello, genocide. Mm-hmm. Like, the list could keep going. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things at play around, mm-hmm. like, why the decriminalization of sex work is such a 
sticking point yeah politically yeah and I like and I'll add um this is an aside yeah and, we're gonna and, <laughs> and here's an here's our first aside two air signs <laughs> in a closet <laughs> two air signs in a closet trying to do a podcast in an hour <laughs> I'm actually proud we haven't had an aside yet. jokes on you bitches <laughs> um, so okay okay so I am trying to remember what my side is. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is just like my like my own personal journey with um, as an organizer mm-hmm. and as an organizer and a sex worker in the movement to decriminalize sex work. Mm-hmm. One thing that I have learned so much from our peers, um, and especially honestly, like Z St. James, like Z St. Mm. Like holy shit! One, their podcast was fantastic. Two, mm-hmm. I learned so much from them. Constantly, constantly Mm -hmm. is um is like the place where my uh my own shadow of like my blind spot of my own like internalized classism Mm -hmm. is just like um how fucking crucial it is for us to be working in tandem for decriminalization, destigmatization, mm-hmm. and harm reduction. Yes. Like, I, as a sex worker, particularly, like, um, how I how I perform my Lena brand, how I've crafted my Lena brand is very, like, um, yeah, it's, like, very, like, stabled and empowered and, like, 100%, like, if I don't want to fuck with you, I'm really not going to fuck with you. Like, there <laughs> yes. are a lot of fucking like gatekeepy shit to get through to at least even get to my phone that you can text me to and I probably won't even text you back <laughs> like even at that point yeah um if anybody is listening that has experienced this before it's fucking true and like <laughs> there's so many I mean right we're talking like I mean a couple million we're talking hundreds of thousands of sex workers who are oh, yeah. in so many different places mm-hmm. with sex work and when we build with answer and our cornerstone with answer um is that everybody deserves the right to choose to do this work on their own terms at any given moment and mm-hmm. and like that even sometimes in that space that vacillates yep for people and that like the uh, proximity to sex work and access to safe drug use, to mm-hmm. safe substance consumption, to a safe place to live, to like a safe place to care for one's children. Like that shit does not intersect with my brand. That yeah. shit does not intersect with the way that I experienced this work. And I had like, I'm just like in as an organizer, I'm like, yeah, super important harm, like harm reduction, blah, blah, blah. But I never wanted to like be fucking fierce about it. Right. Um, until we started organizing as answer and like just how much the shit kept coming up. And I was like, fuck, dude, this has been my like, yeah, like this has been my blind spot. This is my classist bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like this is my classist bullshit coming out. And um, well, I mean, yeah, and it's just like I'm just so I'm just humbled. Yeah, I the, am just humbled in, in this work. It's like there's constant moments where you can be humbled. And I think it's important to choose to be humbled. Um, like to choose to look at yourself and, and recognize your blind spots. Not everybody does that, right? And that's, um, but in this work, it's so important to do, especially um, as white folks and, and like 100%. people of privilege. 
100%. Yeah. I was just nodding emphatically. Like, I, know, I know there's, like, no camera, but I'm just like, mm-hmm, uh-huh, I'm just like, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Keep going. Also, yes. before we move on from that, um, Stop, tell, on. tell our listeners... <gasps> What is Answer? Oh my gosh! We, have we talked about... Well, we talked... The podcast has heard about Answer before. Yes. But let me tell you again, because you bitches need to know. <laughs> answer is a network of sex workers to excite revolution. That's an organization that we have been um, a part of building. Mm-hmm. That we've been at the genesis of, mm-hmm. um, alongside Z, and alongside some really fucking amazing people here in Detroit. Um... And that's the, the cornerstone of our work is decriminalization and destigmatization. Um, and um, yeah, the belief that we as sex workers, every single one of us deserves to choose to do this work on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And like we, there is no right way to survive capitalism. hey There is no <laughs> right way to survive capitalism. So get it how you get it. And like, yes. yeah, and there's and no shame no in shame. our game and, and be able to survive, like a survive, but be feel embodied. Yes. Oh, um, yes. Feel embodied in the process. And that's a t- tall fucking order in this supremacist capitalist bitch ass system. A hundred percent. So we have a lot of work. Of us. <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of work to do in a lot of different areas. Uh, one of the things we wanted to cover on this podcast is um, your identification as anti-racist, mm. um, and it's a thing that I've wanted to talk about on the podcast as well, and this is you're just the perfect person to do it with. So, what does it mean? Questionable side eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so here for it. Um, what does it mean for you to identify as anti-racist and what does that look like mm. to you? Mm. I love how I read this question and I was like, oh, it's going to be so easy to answer. It's not easy, but I'm just like, yes, I'm, I'm so excited to answer it. And now we're here and I'm like, oh God. Um, and my oh God is coming from a place of, uh, wanting to sound like the perfect anti-racist white person in this one moment. Identify that, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And perfectionism mm-hmm. is a fucking fallacy mm-hmm. and um, is a block of intimacy mm-hmm. and it's also a it's also a pillar of supremacy. Uh-huh. Um, so I just have to ground myself in that for a moment. Yeah. If you're not fucking up every once in a while, you're not doing it right. Oh my God. And you're not human. No. Um, humans and, mess up. and whiteness likes us to believe that we aren't actually that human. Cause yeah. if we were, we wouldn't be judging other humans for being fucking human. That part. Um, Oh, what a void. Hey, we pulled the void card. We did. Oh, God bless. We pulled some tarot before the, before recording. Yeah. Another side. Yeah, and one of the cards was the void. Um, so, yeah, so I, uh, I identify as white American. Um, my ancestral lineage is uh, Slavic and Eastern European and also Welsh. Mm. I know. That's, yes. The Welsh doesn't come much into my Lena brand because I re, I went heavy. I went heavy on the Slavic roots yes. with my uh, 
My Cesura last name um, is it's a last name from my family's lineage. Um, so, I mean, P.S. and by the way, like that was an intentional move. Like I wanted to bring ancestry into my brand. Um, Cause I feel like when I started in sex work, I saw a lot of uh, white identifying or at least white passing to me. Like they came up on my radar, mm -hmm. as like my whiteness radar. And I was like, oh yes, you are white. Um, mm -hmm. No matter I, who knows how they actually identify. Right. Um, I saw a lot of, of presumably uh, white companions, like engaging with a lot of um, appropriative branding stuff. Yeah. Like I was just like, ooh, I'm like seeing a lot of like bindies and headdresses and like like real intentional exotification because exotification is sexy like we right. literally call stripping exotic dancing mm -hmm. um and the only way that we know how to exotify our bodies um in as as white folks is to like actually make them less white mm. like historically we've been doing that for a really long fucking time like mm -hmm. hello the creation of high heels right for us to like wear them to like have a figure that we deemed was the figure of black women because black women were being fucking exotified and fetishized by yeah. white men that we were like trying to act like we wanted to be in relationship with because someone told us that that was important right like holy shit <laughs> oh my god we've we've all been so duped you guys um, <laughs> survival survival in a lot of ways survival yeah, yeah. um and so so okay so bringing it back to being an anti-rate anti-racist white person in life why that's important to me is that right is that mm -hmm, the question mm -hmm. um i think it's so it's a lot about what i was um mentioning before it's like i feel like a lot of us um who okay I, who are in social justice work who are who identify as social justice movement people um i hear a lot of us be like um, you know, I'm, I'm an anti-racist white person because there are people of color in my life who I love and like, I don't want to be, um, like, I don't want to think of anybody else who's not white as less than. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. yes. And mm -hmm. yes. And <laughs> yes. And like, what's at stake for me? Yes. What's at stake for me is that like supremacy fucking tears my soul apart. Yeah. Like. If I'm not naming the fact that like supremacy actually dehumanizes my insides, mm -hmm. there is no way that I can show up for my like brothers, sisters, siblings yes. that are people of color, whatever, however you identify gender, race, religion. There is no way for me to show up in this conversation unless I've actually claimed how like my humanity is also like with me. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah so so supremacy fucks with me like i said before it, it tears me away from my ancestors and um, my ancestral lineage and it's fucking alive even like right here in detroit like my so i'm a fourth generation detroiter um asterisk because white flight is real mm -hmm. and the generation before me all grew up here um and left detroit because right. they could um and they in Detroit 
historically being a very black American city, mm-hmm. um, my, my relatives didn't want to be here. Um, and like so many white families like up and left, mm-hmm. um, and still like have, still have this relationship with Detroit, but not one of like having been a resilient member of the community through generations. Right. But like the proximity of like, we'll claim it when it's convenient, mm-hmm. but like we won't be here when the shit goes bad. Um, so much of that. Yeah. So much of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, <laughs> one of my family members of the generation above me has one of those mugs that's like, bitch, please, I'm from Detroit. Oh my God. And it, and it just like, oh, it just, it makes me, it makes me feel so much, um, confusion, anger, shame. Mm-hmm. What I'm like, I'm like rolling my eyes in the back of my head and holding my hair because I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like trying to identify. I'm like, where's like, where's my humanity in this? Because, yeah. um, because my family has, has done this. It's like, we have been a part of this city, um, for, for, for a long ass time, you know, Mm -hmm. for like 200 whatever years. And, um, wait, I didn't do that math right. Math is relative. Time is relative. (laughs) Generations aren't like necessarily a hundred years, but we'll say, 100, 150 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have this picture of, um, it, it, so this picture is part of a longer text that I have from um, a course. It was like kind of like a cohort. Um, did I ever tell you about this? This course that I did with this organization called White Awake. You did, because okay. I, t- I took a course with them after you told me oh, about I'm it. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad. We've been friends for a really long time. We have. <laughs> I don't know everything we've talked about. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, Reclamation of Ancestry yes. as part of white folks in the social justice movement, because um, it's a really good place to be in when we're white folks in the social justice movement. Yeah, I um, love, I just want to speak to the part of, like, making it personal. Like, you, you were saying, like, I need to know what it is in, like, in for me. That, because, because it's, you have to feel it in your core. You have to have skin in the game. Because the risk if we don't do that mm-hmm. is we, is, is me. I do this. I do this. Mm-hmm. If I don't do that, I show up as a paternalistic, do-good yep. white woman. I am pink pussy hat, circa 2019 mm-hmm. wearing, like, peace and love. I just want everyone to be happy. Like, yes. And when I show up, like, I just, like, I just really, like, care all, of, like, care all about my, like, friends who are black and brown. And um, then, like, it's a really, it's not even a rabbit hole. It's a short little tiny chipmunk hole. Yeah. To me being, like, paternalistic-y, do-goody, performative-ass bullshit. Yep. Can I just say, just because it struck me just now, that that is, like, people-pleasing and fear of conflict, like, showing up in oh my social God. justice movements. Those are my two favorite things to do when <laughs> I don't want to feel my feelings. Yeah. That makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I am the biggest people-pleaser ever. Yeah. And I hate conflict. Yeah. And in order to do real anti-racist work, we have to choose conflict sometimes. Yeah, we have to choose to be uncomfortable, we have to choose to be in conflict, and we have to choose to to live in discomfort. Yes. And to live with less resources. Yes. We, I, that makes me wildly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it's, like, like, people-pleasing 
and fear of conflict are two coping mechanisms from my my own like family structure mm-hmm. and my own story in life that is completely underpinned by what is acceptable in white identity. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly acceptable acceptable for me as a white woman to be exceptionally people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Like hello, I relate to that so hard. And it is really, really like white girl code. White girl code. Hello, white girl code. What one hundred and one? Like, let me just tell. Let me just tell one. <laughs> yeah, on reveal us. the secret. <laughs> it's like it's like we don't get in conflict. Like we just we like don't we we don't get in conflict. That's why there's so many other fucking stereotypes about literally every other identity group that is non-white being, like, whatever, uh, like, um, like, just conflict-oriented in some way or antagonistic in some way. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I've, like, just, just, hello. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, there's the the trope of, like, well, white, the white girl trope of gossip being gossipy, like, behind <gasps> someone's back. We don't, so true. We don't, con- we don't do the conflict, direct conflict, but thank we gossip. You. That's, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, thanks for, you're right, you're, I, direct conflict. Yeah. Direct conflict, you were 100% right, dude. Um, we were talking about anti-racism stuff, yeah. something about ancestral stuff. There was a thing. More about, more about, because if we're not, then we there. risk being paternalistic, do-goody yeah. white women. I've done that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I still, that still fucking creeps up, dude. Yep. That still fucking creeps up. It's important to know it so you can. Name it to tame it. Yes, and that. Be, yeah, and, and. Name it to tame it. Oh, yeah. I've not on. heard that. What? That's good. Ah, you're welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. Um, well, well, name it to tame it and, um. And be ready to do the repair work when yeah. it does. Yeah. You know, the repair work and show up differently. And um... Oh, we're creeping so, so close into the next thing, but I did want to touch on one more thing about anti- anti- anti-racism. Wait, what else? What was the actual question? That, well, the, the actual one was like, what does it mean for you to be anti-racist? Oh, well, it's my entire life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the, the thing I want to touch on before we move on to the next bit is yeah. like, what? how is anti-racism... What? I didn't get to finish my story. Oh, finish your story. Detroitism. Okay. Yes. But then that was a really good question. Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to finish the finish story? It, finish the story, and then and then we'll go into the next one. A Libra and a Gemini <laughs> do a podcast. In absolutely, it's absolutely perfect. <laughs> we walk into a bar and then we walk straight out of it. Because <laughs> what the fuck are we gonna do in a bar? Right. <laughs> I love you. part of my anti-racism uh work and and my therefore ancestral work as a white person Mm -hmm. is um and it's not because it's not just about like claiming my ancestry it's also grieving the loss of my ancestral identity and the way that it has been systematically replaced with this like ubiquitous thing that we just call white yeah um, which is made up, by the way. Which is so, which is a complete social construct, mm-hmm. and um, and that, like doing that grief work, like fucking grieving what I have lost, um, is is also what allows me to like be more of a human in my relationships. Yes. Um, 
with myself, with people that I love and in the community that I am accountable to. Um, and one of the, so one of the things like that I was talking about here in Detroit, mm -hmm. that was the, a picture that I got from oh, a white, yeah. from the white awake group. Yes. Um, was Hamtramck, Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, so if you all are not familiar with the glorious city of Detroit, uh, Hamtramck is a city within a city. Um, <laughs> it's two square miles, two square miles of its own city in the surrounded by Detroit. Um, it's like a little bit of like, it's like north and east of where we are right now. But um, if you look it up on a map, it's also like pretty well known. Mm -hmm. Um, and Hamtramck was historically known as being like the like Polish Catholic stronghold yes. of Detroit, and uh, like the Pope visited once. It was a really big deal. I now mean, we have like a statue of the Pope. Whenever I talk about being Polish from Detroit, people are like, "Oh, Hamtramck," and I'm like, "Yes." Like a couple generations ago, that would make sense for me. Mm -hmm. That's not my lineage. My lineage is on the west side of the city. But um, all that to say, there's this picture. Um, from 1929 at the General Motors Company. Mm. Um, so it was like General Motors Company factory where they're making all the fucking cars in Hamtramck, Michigan. And it was a snapshot of the graduation ceremony of what is called the Americanization Program. Whoa. Bitch, we can Google this and this is real. Whoa. The Americanization Program. So the Americanization Program was a compulsory program for mm -hmm. any immigrant coming over um predominantly from what we now identify as like fellow white people countries right so poland ukraine Nor like norway macedonia right. wherever like keep going yeah um and and it was predominantly eastern european at the time mm -hmm. um where like folks would come they would learn like the important english that they would need to know to work in the factories mm -hmm. and they would learn more importantly like the the cultural nuances of how to behave this is how, how to behave taught by the corporation that is general motors so like general motors is doing this whole thing like here's how you here's how you behave in this space and in your new home here's what you sound like here's what to do here's what to not do and Oof. the graduation ceremony was literally, I kid you fucking not, was literally the whole, like, the whole fucking thing was that the person graduating was supposed to, which was, like, the man of the family, because mm. not, like, women were fucking working. Right. Um, the person graduating was to take the items that they brought from their home country and all of their oh, cultural no. garb and bring them and throw them into this pot Oh, no. The melting pot. And it gets lit on fire. Oh. And it's just, like, this whole, like, this whole ceremonious thing of this, like, complete taking of cultural garb and just washing it. Like, fucking erasing it. And then get it hand getting handed an American flag. Oh, my God. That's awful. Like, and the fact that, like, the company is orchestrating And this. the corporations. Y'all. It's, like, like, I can't. Like, I uh -uh. can't. Like, when, pe when people are like, oh, like, capitalism, racism, capitalism, racism, like, United, like, which one? It's like both were so, have been so systematically contrived. A hundred percent. By corporations since day fucking one. Mm -hmm. Day fucking one. Like, if we, like, no wonder, no wonder we cannot identify who we are as white people because it was created by some fucking CEO at, well, apparently General Motors, goddammit. Right. Like, that... 
And when I have that, like when I have this picture to look at, 1929, the year that my grandma was born. Wow. Um, the year that my grandma was actually born um, in Detroit. And I see like, holy shit, this is, this is what my grandma was born into. This is what my mom was born into. Like yes. now, like, and now, and like understanding the way that my, then like my mom in her lifetime grew up as like a Polak girl mm. at a time when like Polish people like weren't, we were like kind of being ushered into the gates of whiteness, like right in like the like 50s, 60s, 70s, like it was a very like slow thing like my like my uncles still get called dumb Polacks right because it, it's around the same time Irish folks were being ushered into yeah, whiteness it's just, the yeah. fu- just the fucking Catholics yeah. yeah poor Catholics poor Catholics got we we came in at the at the end yeah yep. um and and it's the same way that we think about like Bosnian folks now or mm. here in Michigan how we think about like Chaldean folks now where there's like something there's like a deep intrinsic part in our brains where we're just like and it, we can't even articulate it, but we're like, oh, I mean, like, they're white, but, mm-hmm. like, white, but. And, like, the way that my, the way that I understand my family being in a white, but category in mm. their lifetime, and now I'm in, like, the white, white category. Right. Is just like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense why we move the way that we move and how, how we move. Yes. The way that we move. And how much has been fucking taken from us. Yeah. And exposes and exposes how much it's a social construct. Yeah. And how coercive this shit is. Yeah. Like, how fucking coercive this shit is. Like, every single one of our identity groups across the board has a coercive relationship with capitalism. Mm-hmm. Has a coercive relationship with racial capitalism. Like, you, you, we can't escape it. Like, mm-hmm. we cannot escape it. And yeah, so when I when I touch in on like ooh 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 I feel the fire ooh I feel the fire <laughs> like when I we need it when I am tapped into the grief into the rage yes um I like I'm like I I'm ready to fucking link up I'm ready to link up with fellow white folks mm-hmm. I'm ready to link up with like fellow black brown who like people across all spectrums of gender race class Mm -hmm. who are like yeah this is fucked yeah like when i'm tapped in and centered and grounded like i'm ready to show up and be like i like i feel my fuckedness i feel fuckedness for you Mm -hmm. and like this shit is not gonna fly yeah and so and like and and i feel like in our iteration I'm like really with the word iteration today Um, and how that plays out like now in in our lives like we're living through our like first round of the Black Lives Matter movement was when I was an organizer Mm -hmm. now in our second round of the Black Lives Matter movement as an organizer it's like I'm ready to show up because I refuse for this to happen to continue happening Mm -hmm. like I refuse for the dehumanization of like my humanity and the humanity of people I love to continue. Absolutely. I refuse. Absolutely. I yes. refuse. Um but you've got to get in touch with that fire. And I think that's I love that you identified that and like where the origin comes from because I think that's that's the part of personal anti-racist work um that is so key to identifying that piece inside of ourselves that is grief and loss and 
anger and, and confusion and confusion and like identifying it leaning into it and and really feeling those things so that we can show up mm-hmm. in the anti-racist movement authentically and yeah. not in that paternalistic sense that and we were talking I, about earlier I definitely identified as anti-racist mm-hmm. before being connected to this grief and this rage yeah um and and when I and I I lived in a space of guilt like guilt was my primary motive mm-hmm. like I feel guilty for having so much privilege mm. um, that's a there, creep like, still therefore I will be a doormat for whatever person has more melanin than me tells me what to do mm-hmm. and now and like now I'm in a and like I oh my gosh and I I I did more harm than good. Yeah. I was, I was incredibly harmful in my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and like, and like, I'm, I'm still in my repair work yeah. with that and like what that fucking looks like, dude. Um, being tapped into the fire mm-hmm. doesn't absolve my relationship to the privilege I have now. Mm-hmm. It just means that I have the clarity that like, I'm not going to try and, um, like, I'm not going to try to minimize, erase, play down my privileges. Yes. Like, I am just so fucking on fire for equity. Yeah. Like, what the fuck it looks like for every person that I love and am in a relationship with and in accountable community with mm-hmm. to have the same accesses to resources that I do. Yes. And And I get to live, like, my journey now is like living in the discomfort and the recognition that like what that may like what that looks like is often being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and like often <laughs> being like in this titrated place between like fire privilege discomfort rage and like understanding that we deserve these resources so like how the fuck are we going to get them yeah like how the fuck am i going to like share like mu- like mutual aid share the resources that i have but not necessarily try and minimize or negate them yeah and take the risks necessary to show up ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh. Mm. um so with the, the anti-racist stuff how does anti-racism work and that identity fit into your sex work oh and, and business model i know this is going to be a two-parter i know it oh my god it's going to be a two-parter <laughs> fuck dude um I feel the inclination to judge myself really harshly right now. Mm-hmm. I feel the inclination to, um, I feel the inclination to throw myself under the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, Where is that coming from? Yeah, yeah. That's coming from, um, my my own narrative of like being the perfect anti-racist white ally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. means that I would uh, that that I would quote unquote be doing more mm. um, or that I would quote unquote doing more. I'm like air quoting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my fingers cracked in the microphone when I air quoted. So you could probably know that I'm air quoting <laughs> vigorously. Um I think that's it. I think yeah. that I think it's that. 
Um, okay, so I named that, and then I still have to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Rude! God damn it, this is rude. Um, I, it's been a process. Mm-hmm. It's been a process. Um, it turns out that there's no handbook or instructions for, like, how to be an anti-racist white person and also excuse me and also um yeah and also like a like a fucking hustler Mm -hmm. so uh, (laughs) (laughs) noises of exasperation noises of exasperation um i feel the tension I feel tension. I feel tension. I feel fucking tension mm-hmm. between my uh, identity as an anti-racist white person and my brand as a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have put a lot of intention and time and resources to bring those two things closer together. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when I started... I what and I th- this is also the beauty of what I why I fucking love Twitter as a platform for um like indirect or passive uh solicitation. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm like have a platform where I can like share my values and like even just like share my spirit mm-hmm. which is just like I'd like to think is like pretty genuine and compassionate as a person, which is like a really important tenet as an anti-racist white person. (laughs) Um, Having feelings and like desiring genuine intimacy. Yes. Um, Turns out whiteness doesn't like that. Mm. And truth. um, Yeah. So the tension that I feel is, um, I don't know. I'm dude. I mean, I, I, I. I ask your feedback too. Yeah. I'm like I'm like ready to go in and be like, fuck, I haven't done enough. <laughs> I feel like I built like I built the tenets of my brand on um like on being like hot, able bodied, normal, uh like n- like normatively beautiful, cisgendered white girl. Yeah. And like I can have an immense amount of success by just having those things. Like, that's where my privilege fucking, like, catapults my shit into, like, I yeah. I mean, like, I just have to drastically not fuck up. Um, I love when you say that. You've, you've said that a few times in my presence, and I really appreciate you identifying, like, I have all of these privileges as an able-bodied, white, yeah. like, normatively yeah. attractive yeah. woman, and, like, all I have to do is not fuck up. And it really, I think you are being a little hard on yourself um, <laughs> because, go figure. I mean, <laughs> but I think it's it's hard because marketing as a sex worker almost requires a certain amount of playing into the tropes and mm-hmm. the stereotypes. And, like, that's why you will see um, people playing into the fetishization mm-hmm. of, of whatever race they identify as mm-hmm. or they appear to be. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't even identify as mm-hmm. it, but whatever they appear to be or trans sex workers like playing, playing into the tropes there. Yeah. And so I think marketing as a sex worker is really difficult. And I think for me, at least with, um, when I think about branding, I it's, I've had the struggle of trying to bring my anti-racist identity 
into the way that I advertise and the way that I like post photos and like mm-hmm. really trying not to yeah really trying check, 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 not check, check, check. to play into the tropes as much as possible because mm-hmm. um, there's there's a certain amount of leeway that you can have and and then also making statements on Twitter on OnlyFans mm-hmm. and um, really just like identifying things and making people think in ways like for the people who follow you um, I've noticed that you tend to put Things on OnlyFans, like celebrating. I think it was, fuck, was it? I don't know, on Columbus Day, you, you posted something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. and you like made a point to like get heated a little bit. And Good. so I think like maybe speak to that, where like bringing yeah. that in, taking those risks also, as part of your brand. Also, uh, huge shout out to the team of people that helped me actually. <laughs> like I do not. Okay, first and foremost. There we go. Uh, with branding, I don't do this shit alone. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a social media manager. I have an OnlyFans manager. I have an assistant that does all of my emails. So, like, the beauty of working with this team is that, like, I I am very, like, with them, I'm very fiercely, like, this, like, this is my brand. This is what we're doing. Like, they know me as, like, an anti-racist white person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we vibe on that level. Like, we super vibe on that level. And, um... Okay, so this is helping me. Thank you because it's like it's like it's like getting me a little bit out of my like shame spiral that I was going in. I, was <laughs> I felt like, it. I was really in my shame spiral. I was so in my shame it's spiral. It's easy to go there. We don't <laughs> have to go there. So much compassion. We've got the high priestess here. No shame spiral. No necessary. shame spiral today. No. Right next to the void. Yeah. God we bless. The void. God bless. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it it feels like it's um, it feels like my my anti-racist value system has served me in a whole bunch of smaller decisions that in like art like overarching decisions like my first decision was like naming right and I was and I god I remember doing the branding workshop with PS group and (laughs) it was just like there's like PS Group has a fabulous... It's amazing. Um, PS Group could probably also sponsor this podcast because I'll probably keep talking about you guys. Um, <laughs> has a great uh, branding workshop. It's just like a whole bunch of really thought-provoking questions. And I remember being like, I'm really fucking set on keeping my last name Cesura. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, at the be- and, when I, and at the beginning, people were like, oh, that's a little confusing. It's a little da 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 And I was like, no, I got to do this mm-hmm. because like this is my fucking tether. Like... If I go, if I, like, go into a more generic name, like, I will, I will be really tempted to continue to evolve in more generic ways. Mm-hmm. And I can't. I refuse. Like, that is not in line with my values. I can't go, not even, like, can't even go into, like, basic bitch land. Because, like, I still do basic bitch shit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, reclaiming the basic bitchness. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and also, like, it comes down to... You know, like, I, I remember I was abroad doing a photo shoot, um, and I was in Mexico, and it was gorgeous mm-hmm. and amazing, um, and there was a moment when I was uh, working with the the set person and the photographer, and there was a, we were in this really tiny mountain town in Mexico, and, um, and there was a Mexican woman who was, like, dressed up in traditional 
Mexican garb of like the mountain town community with the flowers and the gorgeous and had like a little mule and a cart and the mule was in the flowers and the cart had the flowers and it was beautiful. Mm. And the set person was like, oh my God, you need to go get a picture with that mule and that woman. And I was like, ooh, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I will not do that. Like that, that's not of my culture because that doesn't fit with my brand. Mm-hmm. But like, that's not of my culture. That's not of my people. And I'm sure as hell not going to go make money off of this photo with this like wonderful elder brown woman, yeah. like as a prop. The fuck no. Mm-hmm. The fuck no. Next question. Yeah. Like, <laughs> thank you, next. <laughs> thank you, next. And, and like, there's been so many little decisions like that mm-hmm. that have been part of my like journey of being a sex worker that have also that have also been um that have put me in a place of like being more vocal Mm -hmm. about um my relationship to organizing my relationship to sex worker organizing and being a white person who's anti-racist and now it's like now I have clients who like value me for this shit Mm -hmm. like which is just and and when I was building my website, um, in the like the latest uh, website that I have, I was really on about wanting to build a Detroit page. Like there were so many of us as Detroit companions yes. that, but like none of us, it didn't feel like any of us were orienting around the city, mm-hmm. and it felt like this really unspoken, like it. Well, I'll just for whatever it is, I I read this like my like social justice spidey senses of like Mm -hmm. this is some white bullshit happening of like (laughs) like none of us as white companions orient around this black majority city yes because like because that wouldn't be quote-unquote luxury that wouldn't be quote-unquote unquote Mm. classy like this this like super tacit equation with race and class and i'm like i'm not fucking okay with that Mm -hmm. so i built on my website a like a page for detroit um, that I have off right now because I'm reorganizing it. I need to like update it. Mm-hmm. But I was literally just like, if you, <laughs> I think I was really sassy in my content, but it was something that you was... sassy <laughs> in your content. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who is that? Who is that? Who could that be? Um, but I was just like, if you have shit to say about Detroit, say it to my face. Yeah. Like, fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Like, not, I mean, Love you, clients. <laughs> <laughs> but also don't talk shit about Detroit. Also don't talk shit about Detroit. Yes. Like, I I can't. Like, I'm, I'm on a reclamation journey of my own family leaving Detroit, mm-hmm. of me now being in, like, full-time in Detroit, being the only home-owning person in the city of Detroit when at one time we had seven homes across the city. Wow. Like, not even a generation ago, we don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. So, like, I can't be, I cannot afford to be, like, in this tacit white girl place of, like, oh, I guess we'll just go hang out in the suburbs for the evening. Like, no, No. bitch. Mm -mm. Actually, it costs more money to bring me out to the suburbs. Yeah. Like, and, like, there's just, like, this whole evolution of of decisions for, and, and, of yeah. For my brand and now also starting my blog. Yes. Do you want to take a moment no. to talk? Okay, we won't talk about <laughs> Okay, no, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't care what you want. We're going to talk about your blog. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to do it. So you're starting a blog. <laughs> can you hear me biting my nails? <laughs> what? Pray tell. Pray tell what is your blog about? Oh, uh, well, it turns out that my blog is about... Uh, 
pretty much being a white identifying sex worker in a movement to decriminalize sex work in how it is my own journey and importance for us to not center our whiteness in <laughs> the <laughs> movement to decriminalize sex work. Hell that yeah. That won't get shit done. Not at all. Um, and, and a whole bunch of other asides. Like, it's really... It's not a block. <laughs> this is another, yeah. Ooh. So um, it was. It was actually. It was an idea from PS Group. PS Group is just like when when we were doing SEO work, and I think PS Group says this to a lot of folks. Like, start a blog. It's great for SEO. Mm-hmm. When you update a blog and you link it to your website, it's the best way to uh, get your. And when we're talking about SEO, we're talking about search engine optimization. Yes. So the way the the ranking that your website gets when you are like in an organic google search um so you get higher up in the ranking like you know in the top results when you have content that's more updated so a blog is a great place to do that um super great in theory and when we talked about it it was just like yeah you know like here's a few other examples of like sex worker blogs and it's just like really stream of conscious or like really just like super client like client facing client talking to and like you could just kind of do some shit like this and call it a blog and i'm like okay 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 cool yeah i can totally do that i can totally do that oh shit Mm -hmm. i can't totally do that like if i'm gonna be in a space where i have my thoughts and values attached to my name and the brand that i fucking built like you best believe (laughs) you best believe it's gonna be about like movement work yep and community organizing, mm-hmm. and I can't talk about those things from any other place but my own, which is my forever journey of being a white person in this movement and a forever journey being a white identified sex worker in our movement to decriminalize sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that I started writing a blog <laughs> and the drafts are done. Um, That's exciting. It's exciting. I. It's like funny. Honestly, now I'm, um, it'll be interesting by the time we air this podcast, if I, I have a good sense that it'll be like up and going by then. Oh my God, why did I just give myself that timeline? Who does that? Who, what is the self accountability? Stop, stop, self, stop. Um, I love it. Oh my God. So, um, honestly, the question is like, I don't even, um, I don't quite know if it'll be linked to my website mm-hmm. or if it'll stand alone, which like totally defeats this whole purpose that we were talking about for SEO. But right. it's, it's grown outside. It's grown so much bigger than like, not bigger. It's grown. It's rooted actually. It's like grown and rooted more in a different place. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm very much leaning towards this blog being hosted on a completely different um domain name like having its own website Mm -hmm. um just because the audience of the blog for me when i'm writing the audience of the blog is like my peers yeah my peers who are like both white identifying sex workers and not white identifying sex workers um and clients will read that potential clients can read that people who are sex worker allies can definitely read it um and that's not necessarily the intended audience Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that you all won't get something from it. Sure. Um, yeah. And so I think 
And I think there's a lot of this, like, we, and we as, as white folks um, in the larger social justice movement, I think we've done a lot more work in more recent years compared to when I first got started in, as a white person in the movement where it's like we were so decentralized because mm-hmm. we um, we had so much unprocessed guilt and shame about our whiteness. And there was that delineation of like the good white person versus a hundred percent. Yeah. And, 100%. Now... and we, and, and, and how much we've done a lot to, um, to perpetuate that. Yeah. Um, which, which I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by agree with, I mean, like, I, I feel it in me the way that I want to demonize fellow white folks who do not have the same values that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do that from a deep place of superiority complex mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being able to reach out and be like, ooh, I see the pain that is alive right now. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're actually suffering from the same pain. Yes. We're suffering from the same pain of like being fucking duped by corporations. Mm-hmm. And we had those in in our two ideologies, our dominant narratives have just taken off in two different directions. Yes. Um, And so, like, if I come back from to this place of pain and like recognizing that, like, we are in the same place of like this, this like ubiquitousness of whiteness is is like uh, telling us that we are different from our peers in some way. Mm hmm. Um, then, yeah, and I mean, I, and then, like, then I can, I can, like, be in a much deeper compassionate place. Um, that was a total aside. Yeah. Um, the thing that, wait, I feel like I want to flush that out, but I don't want to get too off into the aside. What's, what are you, I also feel like that's just a blog post. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm just, like, in this place of, like, I cannot wait to read your blog. Why? Come in. God damn it. Um, Coming Uh, soon to an interwebs near you. uh, (laughs) Thanks for saying that. Yeah, so that's the culmination of anti-racism identity in my sex work life. Absolutely. I also... (laughs) Deep sigh. Deep sigh. (laughs) Deep sigh and more LaCroix. I was... Yes. I was also thinking as you were speaking um, and, and earlier when you were like thinking you didn't do enough work, this idea of like prioritizing time to like get out on the fucking streets Ooh. when shit was going down. Like yeah. that was that was a huge. Oh, that was a huge priority. Yeah, a huge priority. Yeah. Um, like canceling some of your yeah. work and stuff yeah, yeah, in yeah. order to. I mean, we both did in yeah. order to like be there and do right. the work. You were fucking right. Um, Mm-hmm. We, I, it's funny how we like don't remember the things that we do. I right? yeah we yeah um, it's true. In order to perpetuate a shame spiral, which is not helpful and just keeps us. It's so it, coping it, yeah. shit in our coping shit, which also like serves the dominant narrative. A hundred percent serves supremacy, which is mm-hmm. my way of pivoting <gasps> to. The lady said stop, so we're stopping right there, and I am. Really grateful that you all are here listening to this. This conversation means so much to me, and I was, I'm still so grateful that Lena was willing to sit down and get vulnerable with me in this way. Um, if you want to help fund our work with Answer, you can go to 
answerdetroit.org and donate directly there. You can also uh, become a Patreon of this podcast and 50% of the proceeds go towards a network of sex workers to excite revolution. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash sexygalaxypod. Uh, But if you can't spare the cash at this time, that's totally okay. I'm just really grateful that you're here and you're listening and engaging. Um, If you're feeling like you want to support even further and you don't want to spend any money, you can always leave a review. Um, Give us five stars. You can engage with us on Twitter at SexyGalaxyPod. Lena's information is in the show notes and everything that we talked about, uh, everything that I could possibly find a link to is in the show notes. So go check that out. There's a lot of really good books in there. Um, And stay tuned for the next episode dropping in two weeks. That is the other half of this conversation. I am so grateful for you. I don't know how many times I'm going to be able to say that. Um, Probably every single time, multiple times. (laughs) Uh, I feel really lucky always to be creating this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. And happy Pride Month. Stay fabulous. Go out, get covered in glitter or whatever you want to do. It's, it's a really wonderful time to be yourself. Thank you for being you. <laughs> okay, space fact, space fact. Here we go. Space travel can be rather enjoyable. In fact, when you are floating in space... Feeling the euphoria of the vacuous void around you. The pleasure can be so intense that you just come into space. And the result is a Milky Way. Nanu nanu, motherfuckers. I'm not